0: Good morning, good morning. Breakfast today is sponsored by Lindsay and Shlomo Suisa in celebration of their son Shiloh's fourth birthday. Kalili, <laughs> Baruch. Breakfast also sponsored Loving Memory and Liluni Shabbat Sharon's father, Aaron Ben Mishulam Zalman, Allah Shalom, sponsored by Sharon and Sol Towel. Hazaku <laughs> Baruch. The Pasuk tells us, Ubishanah Shavi'id, Shabbat Shabbaton Yeh, Laaret, Shabbat Lashem. That's a lot of Shabbats right there. One more time. Ubishanah <laughs> Shavi'id in the seventh year. Shabbat Shabbaton, a Shabbat of Shabbats. Yeh art, it would be for the earth. Shabbat Lashem, a Shabbat for God. Now, what is this concept, Shabbat Shabbaton, Yishabat Shabbat what's happening over here? So the Chida says something, and you know when you read something that you never saw your whole life, even though you're studying Torah from the time, and yeah, it's, like, it's so beautiful. The Chidah the explains, he says, the Gemara tells over, uh, about the students of Ravah that came to visit him. <speaking in Hebrew> Ravah said to his rabbis, to his uh, students, I beg of you, in the days of Nisan and in the month of Tishrei, don't come to see me, don't come and study with me. In order that you should not be busy with your food the whole year why the month of nisan and the month of tishrei are the important months in farming both in the planting in the spring and also in the gathering in in tishrei the time of sukkot where we gather in the the fruits and the vegetables and everything like this so what he asked the students is these two months the planting and the gathering in don't come to my school don't come study with me Focus on your work. Bring in, you know, plant all the food and then bring in all the food because if you come and study with me and then you're trying to make ends meet the whole year, the whole year you're going to be worried about how you're going to eat. So those two months, please don't come to the yeshiva. I always wondered if maybe that was why Nisan, they have in yeshiva, a whole month of Ben Azmanim. It's a holdover from that time where all the yeshivas let out for a full month. There's no real reason they need to, but maybe it's a holdover from this opinion of Rabbi. Says the Chidam, magnificent. What that means is that if every year they're spending two months of the year, they're not learning, they're not studying Torah, that means year one, two months. Year two, four months. Three, six months. Four, five, six, twelve months. After six years have passed, they have now a full year where they were not studying Torah. In that seventh year then, we make up all those twelve months. To be able to get back to the Torah, Shabbatah. It's just like Shabbat when someone works all week long; they're busy with their work. The halacha is, someone on Shabbat is supposed to about someone who's working the whole week spends that time on Shabbat. That's why we have these Shabbat classes. There's a speech on Shabbat in the synagogue to be able to bring Torah to the days. To be able to bring Torah to the days um, that are not that don't have Torah on them. So if that's the case, we now begin to understand why this week, this seventh year is called Shabbat Shabbaton. But what's fascinating to me as well, Rabotai, is that after Shemitah, you count seven Shemitahs and what do you have? Yovel. Why? Why do we have Yovel? And he says something unbelievable. He says that the idea is, V'shaveta Haaretz Shabbat Lashem, and the land will rest Shabbat Hashem. The same way on Shabbat, you're not supposed to work, you're not supposed to produce anything, and anything that comes from that doesn't have berakha. So says the chida something magnificent. He says, if you count, how many Shabbats are there in a year? 52. 52, Fifty-two Shabbats in a year, right? 52 Shabbats on on shabbat why because in the you're not working sunday to friday you're not doing any work right but still there's something called the sifihim which means the little bits i didn't plant anything but the ground it still grows these random things that come out of the ground because it's residual because something fell down in the ground so you have on the shabbat as well you have something that's growing on shabbat 52 shabbats times 7 years of shemitah is exactly 300 and there you go. So we have another year at the end of the seven years of, uh, of Shemitah, we have another year of Yovel to counterman and to counterbalance that. The Shabbat of the land is so important. And Rabbi God says, I'll take care of you. There's an amazing uh, story told over by Rav Karlinstein. He says there was once a man, a rabbi in the city, whose wife had a cleaning lady in the, in the house in Yerushalayim. Anyway, this cleaning lady, she helps out with the guests, she helps out with this, with that. One day, it's Shabbat afternoon, she says to, her, to the lady, she says, you know what? Tonight, I'm going back to my country. She says, well, you're going back to your country? What do you mean, going back to your country? She says, why didn't you tell me anything? She says, something came up, I need to leave. I'm leaving in, uh, whenever, you, I know the Shabbat is over in a few minutes, I'm gonna pack up my stuff now, and uh, as soon as Shabbat's over, if you could please call me a cab to go to the airport. The rabbanit, she's going crazy, she says, I can't believe it. If you would have told me, I would have been able to find somebody else. The woman says, look, this is the situation. I gotta go, I'm really sorry. She feels bad, the rabbanit, she says, look, uh, if you would have let me know, at least I could have given you, bought you a present, something to say thank you. The woman just kind of shrugs her shoulders and walks away. As she's walking out, the rabbanit says, please, I feel so bad, I nothing to give you in my house. You know, they weren't very wealthy people. She says, look, here is a beautiful apple sitting on the counter. She says, at least take an apple, something you can eat on the way to the airport or on, the, on, the, on your journey. The woman says, okay, she puts the apple in her bag. Anyway, the father comes home from Arbit, the, the rabbi comes home from Arbit, and the rabbanit says to the rabbi, the strangest thing happened, middle of the afternoon, right after Mincha, when we were sitting down, to the cleaning lady, this non-Jewish woman, she decides, she she tells me she's leaving. When she's leaving, she's leaving tonight, with no warning. I had nothing. I couldn't get her a present. The only thing I could get her, she says, was there was one of the, uh, the apples sitting on the counter. So I gave her the apple. The rabbi said, you gave her the apple. She says yes. She he says that apple was from the perot of kiddushat shivit. There's many different fruits that you have in the in the uh, in the in the, on the scene in Israel. You could have fruits that are from uh, uh, Otsar Bedin. You could have fruits that come from Mechira, where they sold the land to a non-Jew. You could have fruits that come from the area that's owned or farmed by the Arab uh, farmers. But fruit that comes with Kiddushat eat, where they were literally, they picked it for Shevite, it says, it's almost like a korban. The only people, the only person allowed to eat it is someone who's Jewish with the proper Kiddushat. He says, you're not allowed to give her that apple. So she says, I can't, she left already. What should I do? He says, well, where did you take her? She says, I called her a cab to take her to the bus station. She says, you know what, the rabbi says, if she's not allowed, I'll go get it back. She jumps in the cab, she drives to the what's it called, she drives to the bus station. She looks around to see the bus going to the airport, the, the, the cleaning lady's not there, but she sees that there's a bus that's closing the doors to go to the airport, it's about to pull out. She knocks on the window, if it's Asur, it's Asur. She gets on the bus, she pays the money to get on the bus, to go to the airport to see what's going to be. And she's walking down the the bus, the aisle of the bus. She notices in the far back row, popping up above one of the seats, she sees the head, the hair, and the whatever hat of her cleaning lady. So she starts walking closer and closer to the cleaning lady. All of a sudden, the lady picks up her head, and she sees the rabbanit. And she says, take it, take it, I promise, take it, take it. The rabbanit doesn't know what's going on. And she throws at the rabbanit a box filled with all of the jewelry that they had in the rabbi's house wow. Wow. <laughs> the rabbi, she thought that she found she thought she found out she thought she caught her she didn't want it to call the police be detained she wants to go home. she throws the box at her. the rabbanit. catches the box she says and i'll have the apple too <laughs> Rabotai, you see unbelievable the Shemirah, the protection of when someone attempts to keep Shevi'it, but you know what? For me, this was something that was off of the charts. There's a rabbi, whose name is Rabbi Reuven Meir. He runs an organization that helps the farmers keep Shavit. It's very difficult. You imagine, Shemitah. All of a sudden, you shut down your operations. You can't do anything for the whole year. What do you do? You play uh, solitaire, candy crush? You know, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing. How do you bring in the food? It's not simple. In a, in a, in a simpler world, it was simple. When things were simple, you walked out, you ate your fruits from your back garden, so the tree is still there, you're allowed to take what you need for the day, they went out, they ate a fruit. Now, you can't sell the fruit. How do you pay your tuition? You need money, you need bank accounts. Your electricity doesn't get paid by extra apples from the tree. So it's much more complicated today to keep Shemitah. And they have this thing called Keren Shavit, with rabbis and people set up. Anyway, one day, this rabbi, Rabbi Ruven, Meir, gets a phone call. He says, hello, hello. He says, I have an interesting question for you. I'd rather speak with you about it in person, if that's okay. He says, okay, sure, no problem. What is this about? He says, he's, the guy says, look, I'm not religious at all. I never kept a single mitzvah in my life. I came from one of these anti-religious kibbutzim. He says, but I've decided I want to keep shemitah. <laughs> and the rabbi is thinking, that's your first mitzvah. Like, go buy some tzitzit. Like, you know what I mean? Go put on a kippah. He, the guy's going to go from keeping nothing Sitting Betel the whole year. But he doesn't, he didn't know what the, so he says, Are you sure? The guy says, I'm absolutely sure. He says, Please, he says, If it works out for you, can you meet me outside the Coca Cola company right on the highway outside of Bnei Brak? The rabbi says, Okay, sure. He goes down to the thing. He sees this guy waving at him, sitting, uh, standing by his car. He says, Fadal, come in the car, sit down with me. Well, I'd like to talk to you about it. They say, Introduce each other. He says, My name is Lior. I've been a farmer, he says, for 30 years. And he says, and I've decided I want to keep Shemitah now, but I don't know what it entails. So tell me what it entails. He says, well, it means, I mean, in the short version, it means that you can't work the land for the entire year. And the rabbi is expecting the guy to be like, okay, fine, I'm out. <laughs> and he says, okay. He says, well, it's not so simple. There's actually, agriculturally, there's things that you need to do to prepare the land before and also to get the land sorted after you haven't used it for a year. You know, you're not allowed to plow, you're not allowed to pluck, you can't do, you you can't cut the trees, you can't do a lot of pruning, you can't do things that people don't know about. So he says, Everything, guys, unfazed, no problem. Okay, Rabbi, that's what we need to do, that's what we'll do. And the rabbi is getting more and more curious. Finally, the guy, Lior, says to him, He says, Look, I'll tell you the truth. I bet you you're wondering why in the world a guy who defines himself as not religious is willing to do something as big as this. The rabbi says, actually, you're 100% right. Any time we've ever had someone, even if he's a little bit, even if he's moderately religious, I go and I spend time with them and we talk about it for hours, you know, and they make the commitment. It's a big deal. I never got a phone call in all of my career of someone who wasn't just deciding, I'm in. So he says, let me tell you. He says, for 30 years, I've been working in, the, the, you know, in, this, in this industry. He says, and I'm out in the middle of nowhere on 40 dunam of land. Anyone know how much a dunam is? Can you translate that into English? 1,000 square meters. 1,000 square meters. 80 so acres, uh, 80 acres is a dunam? No, 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 no. Every 2 every acres per acre. dunam. So 80 acres of land the guy sits on. He's a farmer in the middle of nowhere. He says, all I have is my non-Jewish workers. He says, we we don't even, unless we make an effort, we don't even come into contact with Jews. Because I don't live in the city. I live in the middle of my farm. Listen to what he said. He said, and one day I woke up and I thought to myself, you know what? Jews, for thousands of years, wanted to be in this land. They prayed, I don't even know what this land is about. I don't know what being Jewish is about. I don't see other Jewish people. It has to be that I should understand a little bit more about what's going on here and not take this for granted. He said, but we didn't have any contact with anybody. I didn't, you know, wasn't, I didn't know what to do. So I said, you know what? Every night after dinner, we'll go have Nanati in the back, in the garden, and we'll learn together as a family a couple chapters in the Tanakh. That way we'll learn about the history of the Jewish people, what Jews are supposed to do, what they're supposed to think. And every night they sat him, his wife, and his two kids and they sat there sipping tea. They add an extra cube of sugar, you know. He says, finally, we come to Parashah, Behar. And I'm sitting here learning about how you're supposed to let the land lie fallow for an entire year. He says, This spoke to me. I'm a farmer. He says, And I thought to myself, and I asked my wife, This is impossible. This is like national suicide. You have an entire people without stores, Makolet and uh, bingo and Osher Ad and, uh, you know, Rami Levi. Where is everybody going to eat food from? This is national suicide. How can this be? And my wife and I are sitting there discussing it. Meanwhile, my daughter says, I read ahead. <laughs> she says, in 12 pesukim later, you'll see the answer. So we all looked up in the books, in the, in the Torah. We turned 12 pesukim. It says, "Vechit Omar. And if you're going to say... It's like the Torah knew what we were going to ask. What are we going to eat in that year? In the sixth year, you're going to have enough for three years. So I said to my wife, 30 years I'm doing this. Every year is roughly the same thing. Sixth, she, so his wife says, you know what? Why don't we try it? Let's see. We'll see what happens in the sixth year. We're going to decide to keep Shemitah, and let's see what happens. In the sixth year, you know, if, if you get triple. She says, this is a way of testing if this book is nonsense or if it's a real deal. Anyway, the more he thinks about it, the guy, the more he's curious, this is something like epic, uh, you know, opportunity. He says, Biba, I have no idea what shimi, when Shemitah is. Anyway, they somehow they manage, they get a calendar, they figure out that they're in the fifth year. So they have two years to Shemitah. She says, perfect, next year is already the sixth year. If we get triple the amount, like the Pasuk says, we'll keep Shemitah. They shook hands on it. They decided, he says, we decided we were going to do it. We're keeping Shemitah. Let's see what happens. And he goes, you know what happened, Rabbi? Hazit, the Rabbi, sitting at the end of his chair. He says, and you know what happened, Rabbi? 30 years I'm selling my product on these 40 dunams is peppers. I sell peppers to the whole world. Normally, for one kilo... The amount is at a rate of 3.5 shekel per kilo. And he says, and I'm sorry to tell you, Rabbi, that actually that sixth year I did not make three times the amount. And the Rabbi says, so why are you here? He says, because I made five times the amount. (laughs) He says, all of a sudden I started getting phone calls. They They want to buy my peppers. They want to buy my peppers. They want to buy my peppers everywhere in the world. never happened to me. And not only that, because there's a bidding war, I wound up selling my peppers for over 18 shekel a kilo. 18 shekel a kilo. Yeah, but why? Why supply and demand? I started doing research. I called up the agricultural thing of Israel. They did the research as well. It turns out that in all of Europe, there was a, a purchase, perhaps like they bought it as a European block. They purchased a new pesticide from China and one of the things that we all learn at some point in our life is that cheaper is always more expensive. <laughs> they buy a cheaper pesticide, and the pesticide turned out when the peppers grew from these, from pe- you know, you, where they use this, this, pest, this pesticide, everything grew was poisonous, could, nothing was edible. All of a sudden the biggest exporters of peppers, Spain, other countries that were, nobody had any peppers. Nobody had any peppers, do you understand this? So all of a sudden, all these companies that need the peppers to provide for sauces, for this, for that, that they're charging premium rates, they're not buying the peppers just to eat the peppers, they're buying the peppers because it's the key ingredient in an item that they sell for much more. They're willing to pay anything. I sold it, Rabbi, for five times the amount. Whatever it costs, however much it is, I'm in. Rabotai. V'shaveta haaretz Shabbat la'Hashem. Hashem says, v'chitoma, you say that, don't worry, I got you. God has, like the Pasuk, like Gemara says, harbe shiluhim la'makom." God has many messengers. Whether the messenger is an active uh, crop that grows three times the size, whether the messenger is some dib who decides to buy pesticide from China, whether the, the, the messenger is the fact uh, that you find, you decide to plant something else and the product goes up uh, in, in world consumption. Whether you decide to buy to use your grain to buy to do scotch and all of a sudden, like we just experienced, it rises 30% in value in a span of five years. Rabbi Otay, God has many, many agents. We have one job and our job is to say, God, we rely on you. You do yours, we'll do ours. Hazaku Baruch. There's one thing that it says that a person is allowed to test God on. And what is that? On tzedakah. Shemitah is where you leave the land and all the aniyim could come in and take whatever they want. So Shemitah also has the halakha of tzedakah. So even though they were testing God, saying, show me the money, give me the money this six year, and we'll do it, still HaKadosh Baruch Hu responded. And was able to bring this little, uh, this little Jew who never knew, who never learned, who sat down with a little chumash with a simple and a pure faith. He was able to bring him all the way back to the ways of our parents, of our Torah, and of our tradition. Baruch Adonai leolam. Amen.